All right. If you're happy being in the house of God, can I hear an amen? Woo! I'm glad I'm here. Open up your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 6. I'm so happy that you came to church today. Look at your neighbor and say, today's a good day. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21, we're going to talk about first love. Somebody say, first love. Awesome, awesome. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21. Oh, 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 what happened over there? How did that, how did that picture get there? Oh, oh, what? Oh, did that picture get there? So this is baby Titus, Titus Joseph Varostik. Our newest baby was born Wednesday morning, right around 9 o'clock, weighing close to 8 pounds and right around 20 inches. Uh, thank you for your prayers and all of your well wishes on Facebook and through your notes that you've sent us. We're so happy that Mama came home yesterday with Titus. They're both doing great, very healthy, and we're so thankful for all that God is doing in their life. So we're at number six right now, and we're so grateful for that. Can I hear an amen for children? Amen, amen. Oh, look at him. Look at him. He's going to help me preach today. Mama's watching him probably online. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21. This is the last portion of the passage of Scripture in the book of Ephesians. We've been going through it verse by verse, and I think today you're going to be very excited to hear this message. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. These are his last words to the people of Ephesus. I am sending him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Somebody say, be encouraged. Thank you. Peace to the brothers and sisters in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read verse 24 together. One, two, three. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Somebody say an undying love. Thank you. If you're new with us, we went through the whole book of Ephesians starting in 2017, but now, right now, in the eighth month of 2018, we finished. We had one month in 2017 where we talked about our church and the vision. So you're talking, if you put 12 plus 8, that's 20 months, minus one month, 19-month sermon series on the book of Ephesians. Give yourselves a hand clap. Come on. Give yourselves a hand clap. You guys have done it. Here's the whole book in summary, and guess what, Lord willing, we're going to do next week. Does anybody know what we're going to do next week? I'm going to read the entire book of Ephesians and explain it, the entire book through everything we've learned. Now, you may be asking, Pastor, how in the world can you take 60-plus sermons and 19 months of information and reduce it down to an hour service? You got to come and check it out. That's what you got to do. But it's going to be done. Most churches wouldn't even try. Most pastors would be too intimidated. But by God's grace, no strength of my own, come next week, hear the entire book of Ephesians read in your hearing and explained in these major categories. Here they are if you haven't seen them. It's review for you if you have heavenly minded and earthly good. The Bible teaches us to be so heavenly minded that we can change the earth for good. These are all the heavenly minded things that we should believe and know and have in our heart. And then those earthly good things are all the things that we should do. We're right there at the final greetings. And the final verse of the final greeting, what does it tell us? To love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Somebody say an undying love. 
I'm going to preach to you a message today on an undying love, keeping your first love. I'm going to preach a message to you that I have been preaching for over 20 years. The first time I remember preaching this message was at my friend's wedding in the Green Mountains of Vermont. This, to this day, is the most beautiful place I've ever been for a wedding, and the wedding ceremony was the most simplest ceremony you could ever imagine. It was done in a church, just like how a church looks like now. They came up and did it, no frills and chills, and then they went out back under a tent with catered food and had the reception. To this day, it's my favorite wedding of all times. Why? Because this man loved God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, his wife, and they did it unto the Lord, and then they dedicated their lives to the Lord, and now they have 11 children, and I look back on that love that they had and how it's lasted all of these years, and there at the reception, looking at the green mountains, they let the creator be the center, the center of their marriage and not a bunch of frills and chills. Sometimes, no offense Latinos, I go to your weddings and the, uh, the Marachi band comes out I can't even be in there. I can't even be in there because it gets so loud. Now y'all laughing because you know what I'm talking about. How many know the band gets too loud sometimes? The horns you know, and I just, I just can't take it. And then the gringo weddings, all that, you know, doing the electric slide, whatever, man, and, and all the different cultures. This why is was my favorite. Watch this. Because I just looked out of this tent, just a little tent, the green mountains of Vermont. If you've never seen them, Google it at another time, and you can see how beautiful they are. And you know what they did? They had a horse come there that they took pictures on and then let you ride on as a guest for fun. I rode on a horse for the very first time. I mean, I did it as a child, but by myself. Nobody holding it, no going in a circle. No, I'm talking full open field, and they told me how to kick it and say, yeah. <laughs> And we were gone. And you could almost just see, because I think at that time I had long hair, so my hair was flowing in the wind, the green mountains in the background, and it was like in slow-mo. Favorite wedding ever. Favorite wedding ever. But for that wedding, I knew this couple was so special. I knew that they had plans to have a big family. I knew that they loved God in a way that I admired. And so I asked the Lord, what message should I preach for this wedding? And he gave me this message to keep your first love. And you could see how easy it is to apply to a wedding because I was using the example, just as we are to fall in love with Jesus and keep loving Jesus, you are to fall in love with your spouse and keep loving your spouse. I actually preached a lot of this message, not so much from Ephesians, but from the book called The Song of Solomon. Some of you don't know that there's a love story in your Bible, but it's called The Song of Solomon. Did you know that? How many already knew there was a love story in your Bible? An entire book written about a love story. Raise your hands. Raise your hands. I just want to see. Okay, about half of you. So the rest of you, you need to go check it out, especially if you're married, and get it in a modern English version. And then this is all I would say to all y'all couples. Act out what they doing, and y'all going to have a good night. Y'all going to have a good night. Thank you very much. I just hooked you up for a fun Sunday, a fun day Sunday. Go home, read Song of Solomon, and do what they do. Read it in a modern English version so you can know what they do in there, and you're going to have some fun. In undying love, you know how I preached it was that Christ comes after us, the divine romance, that Christ comes to us, never forces himself upon us, but willingly lays down his life for us so that we can choose him out of our own choice, not being kidnapped, not being forced. And one of the things that we see in that story is that the woman is so shy, she doesn't feel she deserves the attention. The man coming after her seems to be of nobility and so much stronger than 
than the men she's dated before, so much more moral than the men she dated before. She's almost thinking, it's too good. He's too nice. He's too strong. He's too rich. And yet he pursues her and helps her get over her insecurity. And then she gives up everything for Jesus. Don't read Romeo and Juliet if you want to find true love. Read the Song of Solomon. It's a picture of Christ and his church. Well, when we get to the book of Ephesians, it's that same concept that Christ loves his church as a man loves his bride. So I know that the Old Testament story of Song of Solomon is interwoven here because when we learned in Ephesians chapter 5 about the man and the woman, there's no greater romantic story than in the Song of Solomon. And yet when Paul ends this letter, his words are not heeded by the Ephesians people. Can I show you a timeline of the Bible? Because you know the Bible doesn't end, or I should say the people's lives don't end when the book of the Bible ends. You all understand that, right? When he ends the book of Ephesians, that doesn't mean the Ephesian people stopped existing. I want to tell you what happened afterwards. Here's a brief timeline right here so you can see all of Paul's journeys in his life. He started his journey right there around 33 AD, and then he died under Nero around 67, 68 AD. When he's trying Traveling in the book of Acts, you can see it's in the 50s, uh, in Acts chapter 19 and 20, when he actually goes to Ephesus, that city. It's a Roman city, and he wins them to the Lord. We'll learn a little bit about that uh, later. But then he actually writes the book of Ephesians while he's in Rome in prison in 60 AD. If you can't see it very well here, you can look on your app, or you can get it on the website, okay? But what happens here at 60 AD when he writes the book to 90 AD when Jesus judges the churches because the book of Revelation contains seven churches that are judges, uh, that are judged. Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus going to judge you. Amen. Look at your other neighbor and say, that should scare you. <laughs> or at least you should take that serious. You should have the fear of the Lord. Now get this, 60 AD, book of Ephesians is finished, sent by Tychicus, Tychicus to the people of Ephesus. That last verse says, guys, keep loving Jesus with all you got. Never let your love die. 90 AD, 30 years later, John is on an island, the Apostle John, getting a revelation. That's why we call it the book of Revelation getting a revelation of Jesus coming back to judge the world and what he thinks about these seven churches in Asia Minor. So the question is, what happened in these 30 years right here? Here's all the time of Paul writing his letters, mostly to these churches in Asia Minor. Here are the letters being written. 30 years of time passed by, and here is Jesus' judgment in the book of Revelation. How many want to see the report card of the people of Ephesus right now by Jesus? Y'all want to see Jesus' report card 30 years later, fellas, uh, sisters and brothers. Let's see how you're doing. Go to Revelation chapter chapter 2, verse 1. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. Let's go to their report card. Now you know who these people are, so don't disconnect your Bible from the context. Learn the historical context of the Bible so that you can get what's going on. Look at what it says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Let me help you understand the book of Revelation. Can I give you some revelation of revelation? Y'all want to know this? 
When he says, talk to the angel, the angel was another word for the pastor at that time. Angel simply me- represents messenger. Don't think to yourself, angels are all those who, uh, just only those who live in heaven and flap wings. First of all, angels actually don't have wings. Those are seraphim and cherubim. Angels like Gabriel and Michael, they don't have wings. They look like humans, but they only are spirits, not with bodies. And that word just means messenger. So I can be a messenger. You can be a messenger. And so we sometimes just take the word angel to mean heavenly creature, but it really should just mean the messenger of the church. Now, what, look what it says there. He, he holds in his right hand seven stars, and then he walks among seven golden lampstands. And just think of a lamp stand. That's what it is, a lamp stand. And what would you put on a lamp stand? A lamp. Or in those days, what would they use for a lamp? A candle. So you could say seven golden candle stands. And it tells you in the prior verse, and I'll just show you right now, Revelation chapter 1, uh, one verse 20, it tells you what the lampstands are, so you don't have to be all deep and be like, are the lampstands like these mysterious things and all this? It tells you in the prior verse. Look at it right here. The mystery of the seven stars that you see in the right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. So here's the mystery revealed. The seven stars are the angels or the pastors of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches themselves. Do you get it? So he has the pastors, their leaders in his hands, and he's walking among the church. Do you see what he's doing there? He has the pastor in his hand. You should pray for me because I'm in Jesus's hands. Amen. You should lift me up in your prayers often that I may be who God wants me to be. Okay. And then you ought to recognize that Jesus is walking among us, that he is here in this room today. And then he says, look, now he says to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right. So now you know what's going on. Verse two. You guys ready for the report card? Somebody say, bring it. Come on, here's their report card. 30 years later, let's see how they did. Jesus speaking. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. How many are here today can't tolerate wicked people? Come on. That you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. And have found them false. How many know a false apostle when you see one? Joseph Smith, Charles Taze Russell of Jehovah Witnesses, uh, Muhammad, etc. How many know false apostles? Come on. Now look at verse 3. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. How many of you here today have suffered for Jesus and you haven't given up yet? Come on. It's quiet in here, but I ain't going to make you shout to lie. So I'm just going to assume the ones that are talking are the ones that are walking. Amen? Okay, verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. Hold up. The report card goes from A, A, A. Looks like there's an F coming right here. Looks like there's going to be a D minus right here. Come on. You have forsaken the love you had at first. What is the one thing that Jesus has against them? You've lost your first love. What was the last thing that Paul told them to keep? An undying love. Coincidence? No, the very important thing that Paul wanted them to remember is the very thing they forgot. 
Think about this just for a moment as we pause before we get to verse 5. These people were once pagans following witchcraft. They gave their heart to Jesus and left everything behind. They then were persecuted, killed, put into arenas by the Romans. Their apostle Paul is arrested. They have done all of these things right. They have not gone the way of the Mormons. They are not following their false teachings of that time. They are enduring their persecution. They are coming to church. They're doing everything right. And yet Jesus goes beyond the exterior, beyond what the works on the outside are and goes right to their heart and said, yet I got this against you. You don't love me like you used to. Yeah, you come to church, but you don't come with the heart like you used to. Yeah, you haven't given up. You're still working hard for me in ministry, but you don't have the heart like you used to. Yes, you're still passing on the traditions to your children, but you don't have that spark for me, that twinkle in your eye like you used to. Yes, you're willing to take a beating for me and be persecuted, but when you pray and when you worship, you don't love me like you used to love me. And you see, the thing about Jesus is he cares more about your heart than he does your deeds. Because this is a perfect example that they were checking off all the boxes. And he says, that's still not what I want. Because I didn't want you to be little worker bees for me. Little clogs in the wheel to make my little church wheel go round and round. My little church bus go round and round. No, I wanted you for love. And if I don't have your love, I don't have what I want. Look at verse 5. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you. Remove your lampstand from its place. So that lampstand represents the church, but what's in the church giving it the light? It's the Holy Spirit and his illumination, his power. And he's saying, basically, I'm going to remove the Holy Spirit from your presence. Come on, I got a question right now. I wonder how many churches already lost the Holy Ghost, but they still going on like nothing's changed. Oh, y'all ain't ready for this kind of preaching. Y'all ain't ready. Come on. I wonder how many churches have already lost the presence of God, yet they still jumping, shouting, hollering, putting their stuff on Facebook. Everybody's still acting like Jesus is there, and he's already left the building because they've lost their first love. Man. If that don't put the fear of God in you, I don't know what will. If these wonderful people who had received what most people say, Romans is the most theological book of Paul, but what they say about Ephesians, that it's the most heavenly-minded book out of all of Paul's epistles, that it goes deeper into the mindset of who we are in Christ, seated in heavenly places, blessed with every spiritual blessing, made the masterpiece, literally hand-carved by God himself to do good works which he prepared beforehand, called the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. There is no letter that theologians believe he takes the believer higher in their understanding than the book of Ephesians. And yet, these wonderful brothers and sisters, given the greatest revelation and the greatest apostle of all time, within 30 years forsook their first love. I wonder how many of you are on that path right now and don't even know it. Could you be guilty of the very same thing the Ephesus people are? 
And if I said to you, have you lost your first love, would you respond back exactly the way these people would? Well, Jesus, we're suffering for you here. We're arrested. We're being beaten. I bring my kids to church every week. We rebuke false apostles. What more do you want, Jesus? Would that be your attitude? Because Jesus could agree with all of that and say, yeah, you're right. You come on Sundays. Yeah, you're right. You don't steal or murder. You don't even tolerate wicked people. Yeah, you know, you know what's up morally. But here's the thing. Your heart ain't with me like it used to. Repent. Do the things you did at first for the reasons you did them at first. Or I will come and remove the Holy Spirit, your lampstand from you. Verse 6, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Don't you know God hates stuff? I said, don't you know God hates stuff? I don't even know if I got half a church up this morning. I said, don't you know that God hates stuff? So he says, I'm glad that you hate the practice of the Nicolaitans. That could be the practice of what we would find in our culture today of something that's an untrue thing. So we could say, he could say to us, I'm glad you hate the practice of transgenderism. I'm glad you hate the practice of abortion because I hate all that too. So that's great. I'm, I'm glad you hate what Muslims do during Ramadan. I'm glad you hate uh, what they do with Joseph Smith and their holy underwear in the temples of the Mormon in church. I'm glad you hate it, but you better get your first love back. Verse 7, he ends it with this. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Don't you love our Jesus? This is all Jesus here. This shows us how we are going to be judged on that day. How are we going to be judged by our Jesus? Will deeds be brought up? Absolutely. Our works and all of those things? Absolutely. But what is the most important thing our Jesus is going to judge us on? On your heart. Did you love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind? all your strength? Did you give him the deepest parts of you? I have people tell me all the time, and I'm sure you've heard this too, man, I'm not ready yet for Jesus. I'm not ready. Then I ask him back, when are you going to be ready? Well, hopefully before I die. And then I think to myself, who wants you then? Who wants your leftovers? Now, thankfully, our God loved the thief on the cross, still accepted him. But what a terrible way to think about God and what he did for you. He gave you his best. You'll give him your leftovers. He hung and died naked for you. You'll come ashamed and and pitiful to church and just dip in and dip out. He was willing to give it all, and you just want to give. What, the last 30 seconds on your deathbed? I wonder if there's anybody here that will say, Jesus, I love you with everything and give you the best years of my life. Jesus, I'm not only giving you my sins, but Jesus, I'm giving you my dreams. Jesus, I love telling this example. Jesus, I'm not just having you clean my house and go into my room and touch the parts that I don't want to touch, like, you know, in the shower where you have all that mildew growing right by the edges down there at the bottom or there by the drain. Like, Jesus, I'll give you the dirtiest, nastiest parts of my life. You clean me out there, but you know what? My wallet belongs to me. My jewelry belongs belongs to me. My love life belongs to me. My TV belongs to me. My car belongs to me. Jesus, you can have the garbage. 
See, Jesus is looking for people who say, Jesus, you can have it all. You can have my marriage. Jesus, you can have my, my wallet. You can have my job. You can have my car. You can have it all, Jesus. I don't just give you what I don't want. I give you what I want. You see, if I said to my wife, honey, I'll tell you what. For the first 30 years of our marriage, I won't be faithful so much. The last 30 when I'm old and I can't do much, that's when I'm going to be faithful. But for the first 30 of our years, I'm just going to run around, keep doing what I do, try to get as many girls as I want. What kind of love is that? Do I really love my wife? Somebody say, help us, Jesus. Well, he said, you got to repent and do the things you did at first. So let's go back and learn what they did at first. Y'all ready? Amen. Let's go back. They did three main things, and it's even brought up as a positive in that chapter in Revelation. But now let's look back at it. They gave up everything for Jesus. Look at Acts 19, 17 to 20. This is how they originally came to faith in Jesus. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus. They were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas, which is around $6 million. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Would you be willing to burn it all right now for Jesus? Some of y'all even haven't got the first love to even lose a first love. Some of you need to start right now and just get a first love for Jesus. And that's okay if you're a visitor or if you're new. We want you here today. Trust me. But y'all got to get on fire for Jesus, first of all, to even know what we're talking about here. Because these people were willing to give up everything for Jesus. They were willing to burn it all down, literally burn every bridge and say, I can't go back. They were willing to lose every friendship, every family member. They were willing to say, this is what I'm going to do. And they didn't just do it privately, they did it publicly. What's the lesson that we learn? And by the way, I got all three of these lessons and memes that you can share, and they're on Facebook under the live feed on my page right now. So if you want to share these memes, I want you to do that. I would at least encourage you to find one that speaks to your heart and share it, because there are going to be three lessons we can learn from them. They gave up everything for Jesus. So what changed? More than likely what changed was they were willing to suffer persecution. They were willing to give up friends and family. They were willing to do those things, but there were probably small little things that they compromised on and went back to. And it's those things the Bible says we have to be careful of. The Bible actually gives an illustration like this. It's the small foxes. Everybody look up at me, please. It's the small foxes that come and ruin your vineyard. It's not the big bears. Here's a lesson that I think we can all take. Don't allow the things of your past to come back into your life because small compromises can lead to big mistakes. And what you tolerate now can dominate your life later. What you now tolerate and say, you know what? When I first got saved, I gave up rated R movies. But you know what? Every now and then I, I peep on one. And if a woman shows her breasts, it doesn't bother me so much. You see, what happens is what you used to say, I got to stay away from. I can't watch it unless it's filtered. And now you're okay with You better be careful because that little sin can spoil your vine. Before, because before you know it, seeing an actress with her top off can bring you back to internet porn. Or you may have said to yourself, you know what? This month I don't need to give my tithe and offering. God knows my needs, my bills come first. 
And so you're not backslidden. You're still willing to argue and debate with the homosexual on your job about how God created Adam and Eve. You're still willing to tell a Muslim that, that, that Muhammad was a false prophet. But in your private life, you're robbing from God because you think you know better for your life. And you don't understand that that little compromise over time can now dominate your life. The cracks of a foundation don't have to be big to bring it down. It can start off small, and then when it's under pressure, small things become big. How is it somebody walks away from God? Is it because they turn to Satan? No, it's because for months they were making small compromises, and now just the last one to take a step outside the door and not show up on Sunday is just one small step. It's not a big leap. See, let me tell it to you like this. For me to not come to church on Sunday, I would have to cross a lot of ground to get there. I would have to say, "Real, I, I don't think I'm called to be a pastor. I'm called to be a used car salesman. Like one of my friends, they quit the ministry, he sells used cars now. And then you know what? I'm I'm just going to come and find a church that gets along with me, and if I don't like it, I won't go. And then you know what? Sometimes I got things to do on Sunday that are more important than going to church. And you know what? This thing that I got to do right now is more important to come into church on Sunday. So I'll be at the lake while y'all at church on Sunday. You see how much ground I had to pass to get here? Because this is where I'm at right now. I'm a pastor of a church. I believe in God. I would have to take all of them steps to get there. Generally, you'll never see somebody just go from here to there and just leap all the way there. But some of y'all have been making so many small steps that you're right on the edge right now. And when you see them in church lose their first love, we think it happened at this situation. Well, they got offended with somebody in the church, or they got called out on their sin, or you know what, they had to take a new job because time got tough. But we don't understand there were all these small compromises when you rewind it that they were making that led to big mistakes. It was all the things they were tolerating all along that journey of losing their first love that allowed them to be dominated. How do you let something that's burning hot become cold? Well, you can immediately put water on it, douse it out with a flame, uh, you know, um, you know, fire hydrant. You can do that. What's another thing you can do to allow something that's hot to become cold? Just stop putting combustible things on it. That will get you there too. It will take longer, but what happens is, is it will still have the same result. You got it burning uh, a bonfire right now. You take two gallons of water, dump it on there. Now it's out, right? You have a burning bonfire. You don't put any wood on there. Three days, it's out. Three days, one minute, it doesn't matter. The end result is the same. Some of y'all don't take big leaps. You just stop putting your life on the altar, and God can't burn it up anymore, and so... Your fire goes out. You're wondering why you're not as passionate as you once were. It's because the things that used to keep the fire going, you're not putting on the altar. Look at your life. What are things right now that you may be setting yourself up to fail in if you're not careful? I look at my marriage and I say, if I don't put prayer in my marriage every single day. It may not be a big deal the next day when I don't pray or two days later when I don't pray, but I know after months and months it will allow breakdowns to come because you know what prayer in my marriage allows me to do is to make every wrong right and not go to bed angry. You see, I stopped praying with my wife because now we're busy all the time. Can't pray every night before we go to bed. Don't need to do our devotions together because, hey, we both go to church and we're pastors. And you know what? Now every problem that comes up, we don't have enough time to solve. And the scripture that says you shouldn't go to bed angry, that's not really relevant to me anymore. And so this girl at the gym, she's so hot. And she listens to me. 
and she don't nag. Holla at me. Holla at me, girl. How do you think people have affairs? They lose their first love because it all just started way back here when you didn't see it, when you didn't realize it. 30 years for their flame to go out. Yes, it's a long time. Some of y'all haven't even been alive for 30 years. But let me tell you something. If your flame goes out, it's out. And if that lampstand is taken away, taken away, the Bible says in Ezekiel, it doesn't matter if you were once a Christian. You go to the same hell as the non-Christian now. And Peter even says it will be better as if you had never known the Lord because now you'll see what you have lost when you go to judgment. The second thing that they did is that they were willing to suffer for Jesus. Look at Acts 19, 29. This is when they got saved. I was telling you a little bit about it before. The whole city wasn't in uproar. They didn't like them burning all that witchcraft stuff. The people seized Gaius and Articus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed them into the theater together. They were about ready to die a public death. Now, in this situation, thankfully, those men were spared because the, the Romans said, we're not going to allow you just to do it like that. But eventually, they ended up getting killed. Do you know what city Timothy, Paul's disciple, died in? The books of Timothy are named after him. He was a co-laborer with Tychicus. Do you want to know what city Timothy was killed in? Take a guess. Ephesus. They eventually started killing our disciples there. You see, the things that we have to understand when it comes to suffering is that we shouldn't be afraid to lose things for Jesus because whatever things we give up for Jesus will be worth it in the end. But if you ever get convinced that what Jesus is asking you to give up is not worth the suffering, your love will start to die out. Let me give you an example. When I talk to my wife about going skydiving, the risk of her dying is not worth the reward of us having a memory together. And I said, I'm not doing it until you do it unless Bethany turns 18 and wants to do it. Then I'm going to start doing it with the kids. I'll, I'll, I'll hop, skip over you. But I said, right now, I'm going to put as much pressure as I can as a loving husband to help you to do this because I want this memory. But listen, my wife has a very sensitive stomach. She doesn't like heights, and that would scare her. And I always tell her, I always tell her, we'll have all of these memories together. We'll be able to tell our kids that we overcome our fears. You'll be an example of a champion, and she doesn't buy any of this, you know. I said, you'll love it. I show her videos of Will Smith. I show her motivational Will Smith videos of when he did it. And I do all of these things. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter how much reward I talk to her about skydiving about. Because every time I hold up the reward here, boop, 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 the risks go higher. Well, I'll die. I'll die. And she just says, I'll die, and that means I'll have no more children. I'll have no more life with them. And so in her mind, I die is the greatest risk, so there's no reward that can compare to that. See, listen to me. Listen to me. Jesus says to you, I'm going to give you a family. I'm going to give you godly children. I'm going to give you a dream and a purpose for your life. I'm going to give you vision. I'm going to give you joy, peace, patience, fruit of the Spirit. And then this is what we do. This is what we do. Everybody get this. But I won't be able to do it my way. I won't be able to live life my way. And we put our idolatry of self, what we want, above the suffering of this world for Christ. Because, yeah, doing it God's way may come with suffering. 
Doing it God's way may mean I have to be single for 10 years because now I can't date anybody I want because i got to wait for him to give me my spouse. Yeah, it, it means I might be called to be in Africa. I, I might be called to go be a missionary in India. I might be called to live in a bad neighborhood to be the light there. I might have to do a bunch of things that I never planned on doing. And so I have to see Christ as the ultimate goal, not my comfort zone. How many of you are willing to give it all up for Jesus? See, it's a whole lot different now that you're older and you have children, isn't it? For those of you who have good jobs, you say to yourself, oh, it's easy for this person to come to church and give it all up because, man, they were just a couch surfer at 19, didn't have a purpose. But, man, I own things. I do things. I have a college education. And this is what Jesus says, exactly. You are like a camel trying to go through the eye of a needle. That's how much harder it is. So you better be willing to die to your own self, to live for Jesus. And be honest, it is harder for us. And not only just for the us that have things in America, when you look at the world, all Americans are rich compared to them. We're rich compared to the rest of the world. And so for many of us here today, we put up our own dreams and visions above God because we always say the risk, the risk, the risk. I won't have as much fun. I won't have as many good friends. I won't have as good of a job. I won't have the retirement that I want. But you see, the Christian says Jesus is worth it all. Jesus trumps. The reward of Jesus trumps every risk, every suffering, every pain. Can I get an amen? It's really up to you how you see it. No one else can force you to see it. And then last but not least, they were passionate. Passion is a part of love. They were passionate about being disciples. Look at this lengthy passage. This is right before Paul gets arrested and goes to jail. One of the last people he meets with out of all those churches that he planted are the Ephesians elders. As a matter of fact, these were probably the ones he was closest to because he spent the most amount of time in Ephesus. So when he's about ready to go to, to Jerusalem and leave Asia Minor, he sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. That's how special they were out of all those ones we had heard about before, Philippi, Colossia, etc., Thessalonica, he calls for the elders of Ephesus. Y'all men, come. Come on, brothers and sisters. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. Serve the Lord with great humility, with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. Those were the ones who eventually arrested him in Jerusalem, put him into jail. Verse 20, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house to house. I have declared to both Jew and Greek that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch, he says, now compelled by the Spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prisons and hardships are facing me. Would you still go? Come on, would you still go? You only want to go to the Bahamas. Come on, he was willing to go to jail for Jesus. Come on. He doesn't want to. See, some of y'all look at Christianity like a cruise ship. He saw Christianity as a battleship. However, I consider my life worth nothing. Nothing. See, Paul put his life as nothing, and the reward of Christ as everything. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, and the task is of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that no one among you whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom of God will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today, 
that I am innocent from the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Do you have a good preacher that could say that to you? Do you believe I could say that to you today? I have preached the whole will of God, have I not, verse by verse? Come on, somebody. Have you heard the will of God in this church? That's like Paul. That's how you've been taught. That's what he's saying to them. And he's literally saying, I, I've washed my hands of you guys now. Not that I don't want to be in your life, but I am no longer responsible. I will not be held accountable for what y'all do now. Your men and women, it's up to you. Look at verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God with which he bought you by his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and separate the flock. See, Paul had a prophecy about this. Even from your own number. Come on, look at this. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up, give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourself know that with these hands of mine, I have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Somebody say help the weak. Thank you. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now watch this here. Watch this. When Paul finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. Holy kiss, not on the lips, on the cheek. Come on, somebody. What grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see him again. They accompanied him to the ship. What he had said to them was, guys, I'm now leaving, but I've taught you how to fight. I've taught you the will of God. I've taught you how to stand up for the truth. And now it's up to you whether or not you will be passionate about Christ. It's up to you whether or not you'll fight the good fight of faith. As he says to Timothy in some of his last letters, are to Timothy, by the way, who was the pastor of the church of Ephesus. In those last letters, he's telling Timothy, keep fighting, keep swinging, don't give up. Why? Because you can never let down your guard against false teachings and belief. One lie can put you into bondage while one truth can set you free. What you do with this message, everybody get this. What you do with this message is now going to be on you. Because for 20 years I've been preaching it. And my hands are clean from every person I have spoken it to. I've done funerals with people I've spoken it to. I don't know if they're in heaven or hell. Because some of them walk that line. There are people here today that wished that they could never... Look back on Christ, but if you, don't let, if you don't keep up your guard, you will turn your back on Jesus and do things you never thought you would do. There's some of you who say, I'll never do it, Pastor. I'll never do it. I'll never do it. I'll never do it. But you let down your guard. You get slapped by the devil so often, you'll start to think, maybe I should give up. Maybe I shouldn't love God so much. Maybe it was just a metro praise thing I got involved. You know, my family always told me those people were a cult. Maybe I just got all hyped on what they were hyped on. Maybe this ain't really so real. And you let down your guard and one lie can throw you off. How many have ever talked to a flat earther before? Or at least saw him on YouTube. How many know one lie can make you a fool? 
With just one lie, make you walk around like you're a fool. I wonder how many people today in the church are believing more than one lies, walking around defeated. And they still look, maybe they come to church, and they still look like everybody else, but really they're not victorious. Because isn't that what Jesus said at the end? When you go back to doing what you used to do, you will be victorious. And yet so many people today making excuses for the defeats they have in their life. Well, you know, Pastor... I've been serving God 20 years now, and when I first came to the church, I was single. That's why I could come to the life groups and evangelists. But, Pastor, now I'm married. Now I've got kids. I can't go to church like I used to. Pastor, it's just hard getting there on Sundays. How long do you think it's going to take before the devil knocks them out? Spiritual warfare in the same book. Come on, guys. How long is it going to take before the devil gets a foothold when you let down your guard and start believing lies? Well, you know, Pastor, I'm not as bad as I used to be. If I had $100 for every time somebody said, I'm not as bad as you used to be, I'd be a millionaire. I I used to be. That would have a million dollars right now, if not more. Because what they say is, Pastor, thanks for the help. Thanks for the help. You know, Pastor, when I came here, my wife and I, we were going to get a divorce. I was drinking all the time. I was out with the fellas. Thanks, Pastor, because I don't drink like I used to, and my wife and I are going on. But here's my resignation. I can't be a part of the leadership anymore. I'm just going to go to a church now where I can fit in and just be blessed because it's all about me now isn't that something just those little letting downs of the guard what changed now a lot of times people like to ask me well what did change with the Ephesus people what was the final thing that that brought them down to that place where they would get rebuked so hard and you know the thing is we don't know we don't know but all we know is that Jesus warned them And so I don't know what's going on in your heart today. I really don't. And I know Paul probably wished he could have told him more, but God didn't give him more prophecy. He didn't say, the the wolves are going to come from among you, and it's this one, (laughs) you know. He's going to wile out, and when he does, nobody listen to him, or she's going to wile out. I think there's a part, matter of fact, I know there's a part of Christianity, listen, everybody, where it's always going to come down to your heart and God's. And nobody else is going to know it. I've even watched people backslide and tell us why they backslide. And I still didn't feel right. I'm like, you hide and stuff. And then years later it comes out and it's like, oh, okay. Because they didn't want to tell it all. I can only tell you in my heart what it's been like. These last 20 years since I preached this message. Can I say it to you in closing? So let's go back to the foothills of the green mountains of Vermont. I was a 21-year-old Bible college student, only been saved for about a year and a half, two years. But you know what I knew that day, Edwin? I knew that Jesus loved me. I didn't know much of the Bible at that point, but I knew enough of who I was before him to know that I needed him so much. And I remember traveling to that place in my car with my friend and we were taking turns driving and I was writing the message. Tears were coming down my eyes as I was reading the Song of Solomon and I was like, I have never heard a love story like this before that my Jesus would do this for me. And so what I've done over these years, if you want to know if there's a secret, and I've heard a lot of pastors say it so I know I'm not the only one he's shared it with. 
But I think the secret to never losing your first love is to never forget who you would be without him. You just, you just don't forget it. I can look at my family now, the house and the kids and all of these things, and I can forget who that 18-year-old was at a kitchen table November 5th, 1995. And I'm not saying everybody had to come from the background that I did. I always say my wife is the opposite of me. Never smoked, never drank, never did drugs, never had sex until we got married, all of that. But you see, for her, she still has to go back to that moment of what brought her to Jesus. What was the emptiness? What was the hole that only Jesus can fill? And if you go back in time and you see her there, and you see her there, she's at a youth convention, and there's a preacher talking about the things of God, and something in her heart she said burned within her and said with all of my boyfriends with all of my hopes all of my dreams my career I don't have that kind of love I want Jesus she has to go back to that moment you have to go back there and never forget you never forget what Jesus does for you and has done for you that's how we keep an undying love an undying love So, have I seen people go through hard times as a Christian? Yeah. But what do I see pull them through? Their love for Jesus. Man, I've had people leave this church over stupid reasons. But I've had people stay over stuff. I was like, man, I'm impressed y'all stayed. I can't tell you all the details, but we had people in this church almost have an affair. And you would have thought they would have both rolled out saying, y'all, this church is crazy. Both of them stayed. But I had people leave over one problem they had with one of our administrators. What's the difference between two couples that could have met each other out in the back parking lot and beat each other down? Are you listening? Could have beat each other down over sin, make them want to stay and say, this is my church. It ain't the church's fault. And you know what? It ain't the other person's fault. Something was not right in my spouse. Something wasn't mine my spouse. Let's help both of our spouses work it. I'm telling you, grace has been amazing in this church. But what makes them want to stay and somebody get offended over what an administrator does or doesn't do? Love for Jesus. Love for Jesus. What makes people stay in this church where they have literally been told by their family, literally by their family, we don't want you at our weddings, we don't want you in our lives, we won't even see your grandkids because of how you go to that church and love Jesus. How do they stay when someone will come to this church and leave just because of what their friend wrote on a Facebook post? Somebody will leave over what a friend wrote on a Facebook post, but we got people in this church, some of their parents haven't seen their kids for years. What's the difference? Their love for God. It's their love for God. The love of God is not just something that's emotional and feels good, and trust me, it does, but the love of God comes with power. The love of God will keep you through your hardships. The love of God will keep you when you're weak. What do you think gets me to come back to a church that sometimes I don't always like? (laughs) Y'all don't feel like coming. I don't feel like coming sometimes. Amen. Come on. 
how do I come back to a church that I don't always want to come back? That hasn't been up lately. That's out of the first service, okay? That's the mother folks. Those were years ago, okay? Those are his friends that left. No, I'm kidding. Half kid. Half kid. <laughs> He's been in some crazy meetings. But watch it. How did I, how, why did I come back? You say, Pastor, because it's your church. What? You ain't quit a job before? That's your job. Why'd you quit? You didn't like it. This is a job to me. I don't care how spiritual it is. It feels like a job sometimes. Are you listening? What made me want to come back? Love for God. You say, what about love for people? Baby, if I ain't got, if I ain't got love for God, I ain't got love for you. But watch. But watch. If I got love for God, I can love you. Because if I got that right, I can get this right. If I don't have my vertical relationship right, I can't get my horizontal stuff right. So can I end with the same words of Paul? And encourage all of us today, because I still haven't served God for 30 years yet. This is a warning to me as well. Grace, empowerment is another word for grace. Grace, empowerment, blessing to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. If that's you today, would you stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Come on, God's word is real. Come on, give it up for Jesus. Hallelujah. Altar workers and band, would you come, please? We give it up for you today, Jesus. You gave us a good word. 20 years later, your word is still good, and we're grateful for it, and I get something new out of it every time. And an attitude of prayer, would you search your heart, and I mean this in all sincerity, if you have never fallen in love with Jesus and you haven't really got too much out of the message other than you can fall out of love with Jesus, would you start right now and say, Jesus, I actually want to start falling in love with you? Uh, before I want to guard myself from quitting falling in love with you, I actually want to start. Ask him to forgive you of your sins, very similar to what uh, Lauren did during communion. Just pray and say, Jesus, I want to love you with everything. I know there's something different about you, Jesus, and you dying on the cross was for me. I believe it. You rose again on the third day. Why don't you pray that in your own words? The rest of us here today, maybe you're a Christian, already born again, and you're very similar to those people of Ephesus. You've had powerful moments with God. You've been in love with Jesus in a great way, but today you know that you love him less than you used to. Notice my question to you is not going to be, have you stopped loving Jesus? Listen to my question. Have you loved Jesus less than you used to? Have you loved Jesus less than you used to? If that's you, would you repent for any of the things you've done and make a declaration in your heart today to go back to what you used to do? To go back to those moments you used to get up early and pray. To go back to those commutes where you used to put on worship music. To go back to that time where you used to get off work early so you could make it early to the Bible study and do evangelism. Where you used to come excited to the 101. Where you used to be excited to go to the 201. Where you used to be excited in your marriage. You used to be excited to be a parent. You used to be excited to go to your high school and preach the gospel. So right now, you're either falling in love with Jesus for the first time or falling back in love with Jesus. Right now, we're going to make sure our hearts are right. And those of you here today who already are loving Jesus with that undying love, just join us in worship, and then everyone can sing. But I want to make sure everybody gets it right before we sing it out. Thank you, Lord.
Thank you, Jesus. Move in this place right now. We're not in a hurry. Give the Holy Spirit a few moments to work on your heart, saints. Amen. Ben, you can begin to sing that song. Keep praying until you feel released to worship. Pray before you worship, saints. Make sure your heart is right. Make sure your heart is right with God today. Let us all love Jesus with an undying love. As you begin to believe it and confess it, start to sing this out as your declaration today. It's a great worship song. Because you know why we can love Jesus? Because he first loved us. He first loved us. When we weren't lovable, he loved us, died on the cross for us. Jesus. So the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. If you need prayer, please come on down now and someone will pray with you. If you've come here today and you need prayer, now that you've prayed, we'll pray for you before we dismiss. If you have any need in your life, let us pray for you even right now. We'll dismiss in just a moment. Those of you who can, start to worship. Those who are praying, keep praying. God is in this place. There's nothing like the love of God. There's nothing 